open them to Romans chapter 8. I'll be reading today from Romans chapter 8, verses 10 through 17. 10 through 17. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and of children then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Father, thank you this morning that you have delivered to us your word, Lord. And in it, Lord, the hundreds and hundreds of promises to us, to your redeemed, Lord. The magnitude of the promises in these 66 books are overwhelming, Lord, to save us, to change us, to sanctify us, and ultimately to bring us home. And oh, at what a cost for you to fulfill these promises. Your sin-bearing death upon the cross to take the wrath of God upon you. So now, Lord, help me to speak correctly, Lord, in exposing your word. I pray, Lord, and may you open hearts and ears and minds, Lord, to hear what you have for us today. And may it all be to the glory of our great King and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay. So, these few verses which I read here in Romans speak of several blessings for believers. Life in the Spirit, adoption as sons, children of God, heirs with Christ, Abba Father. But those will not be the focus of our sermon this morning. Rather, there are also a few verses in the middle that have to do with sin and death. And those will be the main topic of this morning, if you'll bear with us. So the title of this morning's sermon is Battling Sin. And the idea for this sermon, I believe, was quickened to me by the Spirit since I too need to continually remind myself to always have the weapons available to battle sin. And as I speak about battling sin, I am not speaking to unbelievers because the methods the Word speaks about are ineffective and void and null 
and useless unless one is a believer since the central part of the text we will focus on is verse 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die, die eternally. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live, live eternally. That by the Spirit does not apply to someone if they are not a believer. But if one is not a believer, you can listen to hear what the real Christian life can be like in this regard, the daily ongoing battle against sin. And I will not be painting a pretty picture of the battle because it is a difficult one. The human heart, and most certainly my own, is dark, hardened, deceitful, and depraved. That is not a popular description. I know we look at each other and say, wow, that person has victory over sin. What's wrong with me? Why don't I have that victory air about myself? And we, when we stand out here on the esplanade, we look out at the ocean, at the blue, and the white waves are crashing, and it's beautiful. But down deep in the ocean is total darkness. And down deep in each of us are hearts that are totally depraved. I might say that if a non-believer knew the fierceness of battling sin that must take place in a true Christian's heart, what lay ahead of him or her, the difficulty of victory and the sometimes humiliating defeats, that person may think a second time about wanting to live the Christian life. But of course, for those who have joined the battle, for true believers, once the Holy Spirit changes your heart and you know Christ, this God you can never see in this life, but you love more than anything in this life, more than this life itself, you will know the battle is worth it and must be joined. Now the main portion of this text we will focus on is verse 13 about putting to death the deeds or the misdeeds of the flesh, our sinful nature, by the Spirit so that we can, what does it say, we can live. And what are these misdeeds of the body? No real need to go over them too much. Paul has several lists in his letters. Jesus speaks abundantly of the narrow path about unbelief, disobedience, and rebellion against God. Not just the usual acts that help us to look at others and think, well, at least I'm not that bad. But all the rebellious acts of the heart and mind that set themselves up against God. Things we do, and importantly, things we don't do. Not just lying, cheating, and lusting, but unloving, unforgiving, uncaring, lazy about caring for the broken, lost, and dying that surround us every day. And what of the root of these things? As Jesus says, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, Slander, these are what defile a person. And what are the consequences of sin that plague us even long after they are forgiven, but their impact on our lives is not erased? 
Even Paul, years later, still lives intensely with the reality of his former sins. Says to the Galatians, For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. David, after Bathsheba, nearly lost his life, his kingship, and had to flee into the desert as his own son tried to murder him. Ananias and Sapphira in Acts struck down for holding back what they had promised to give. And Paul, of course, speaks of a conscience that has been seared, as one translation puts it, seared as with a hot iron. And even something as simple as the Lord urging us to abide by God's wisdom in the way it affects the way we look. As it says in Ecclesiastes, a man's wisdom makes his face shine and the hardness of his face is changed. So God gives us mouths to strengthen, encourage and comfort using the members of our body, as Paul says, as instruments of righteousness. But the same mouths murmuring, complaining and putting down. God gives us hands and arms to help and love, but we can just keep them folded and crossed and move on. God gives us eyes and minds to read and memorize His Word, but the same eyes and mind are used for the lusts of the flesh. So I thought it would be good at this point to bring in a description of the battle with sin by a man who is constantly plagued by sin, is not always able to put to death the misdeeds of the body, who is constantly in serious need of help due to his ongoing weakness. A predicament we as Christians can surely relate to. This, of course, is the Apostle Paul, who in the chapter prior to ours today, in chapter 7, says, For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want. But I do the very thing I hate. Then he continues a few verses later. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. And so he states the problem very clearly that believers have a serious battle on their hands. But he goes on to give us tremendous hope because when he finally admits what a wretched man I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? He gives those amazing words of hope and relief. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then he continues on in chapter 8 with that wonderful assurance after all the horrors of chapter 6 and 7 about death caused by sin, saying, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It says we have been set free. We all love that verse. There's even more good stuff following in verses 10 and 11, which I started out by reading today. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, 
He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So, there is lots of great news for believers of life by the Spirit. But wait, there's more. Then it comes to setting up our main part of the text for today about battling sin by putting to death the flesh. And that is verse 12 that says, So then, brethren, we are debtors. Or, so then, brethren, we are under obligation. Not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. Or as the NIV says, Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation. Okay. So, hold on. All that great stuff we just mentioned that relieved me about Paul's depressing description of his wretchedness The Spirit in me giving life because He dwells in me. Now it says I have an obligation. Crud. I do not even like to RSVP to invitations. I like to keep my options open. What is Jesus Christ going to do for me today? Hmm. So I have an obligation. Not to live according to the flesh. Because it says in verse 13, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So, I don't want to die. I don't want to wilt and keep falling into sin and keep living according to the flesh and prove I'm not really a Christian at all. Rather, I want to put these deeds of the body to death because I want to live. So how do I do that? It says, by the Spirit you put to death those misdeeds. Now, as believers, we have the power of the Holy Spirit in us. So when we say that we must put to death the misdeeds of the body by the Spirit, we have been given a tremendous amount of internal power. Since the Holy Spirit joins with us, because of the work of Christ, joins with our spirit. How do we know there's power? Jesus has not yet ascended and tells His disciples in Acts, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And later in Acts, when Peter describes Jesus to non-believers, Peter says about Jesus, God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power. And even in the Old Testament, as the prophet Micah is going on and on to condemn Israel's leaders for their gross sins, he drops in this verse in the middle of it all. But as for me, I am filled with power, with the Spirit of the Lord, and with justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. So then, we have all this power within us, so we ought to be winning the battle all the time. But of course we don't. And Paul reminds us why in Galatians when he says, For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. 
For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But surely the Spirit should be more powerful than the flesh. So that's it. Seems like a simple answer. By the Spirit, I will put to death those misdeeds so I can live. So let's go. Let's do it. We got power. Christ in me. Holy Spirit. Come and put to death my misdeeds so I can live. Simple. But, of course, unfortunately, it is not. We have got to take action to fulfill this obligation. So I would like to propose to you that the Word of God teaches that one of the primary, if not the primary way to battle sin by the Spirit is through this book right here in front of me, the Word of God itself. Let me illustrate. Look at the verse right above our text for today. In verse 5 it says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Bad, 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 very bad. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. So what are the things of the Spirit? Paul tells us this in 1 Corinthians when he is describing how he is a true, unique, revelatory spokesperson for God as an apostle, saying, and we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So what Paul teaches and what is written down in this Bible are what Paul says are the things of the Spirit. And we agree that to live, which we call is what I want to do. I want to live eternally, not to die eternally. That to live according to the Spirit is to set our minds on the things of the Spirit. And what does Peter say in 1 Peter? Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And finally, in Galatians, Paul is speaking of how the Spirit gave us true salvation when he says in chapter 3, let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? And what is this hearing? Hearing the gospel, hearing the word of God and believing a promise. That promise to be saved by faith alone. And when we battle sin, we again hear with faith and believe a promise that God has made in his word and use that to fight against our flesh, our misdeeds of the body. So how do these spiritual truths help us to battle sin? What does Psalm 119 say? I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. 
What does Jesus do in the wilderness after 40 days when he is tempted by the devil? Three times he answers him back with the word of God, including, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so, if one is convinced that battling by the Spirit is largely done by hearing with faith the word of God, and believing some of the hundreds of promises, then let's agree with Paul as he says in Colossians, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. But let me start by teaching and admonishing myself with this wisdom from the word. So, let's not understate the battle we are in. May we picture a lost person in the pit of his sin who in his own power may try to clean himself up to be a better person and follow the laws of God. That's moral improvement, making a bad person better. But Christianity is a dead, lost person who has been made alive in Christ by being born again, truly being brought from death to life. But even though now alive, he feels himself being dragged back to that pit by his flesh, his sinful nature. And standing there with him is someone trying to help him out, to push him back into the pit, his archenemy seemingly constantly nipping at him like a scrungy dog at his heels that won't ever go away. The bully that never stops punching you It is a constant battle, a war. So let's not sugarcoat it. Let's just say we're in a constant war, like the Israelites were year after year, a constant battle against the Philistines. The battle gear never put away, always on the lookout, the second, third, and fourth watch of the night. So you can probably guess where to go next to Ephesians chapter 6. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So, all this good battle gear. Going to get on my belt my breastplate, my shoes, my shield, my helmet. Okay, now I'm ready for battle. But wait, that's all defensive gear. Now give me something to fight with. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So there you go. Put to death the deeds of the body by the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. 
as Hebrews says, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. And what about this sword? Shall I have it like an unloaded gun in the trunk of my car, possibly ineffective when needed at a critical moment? Or shall I have it at the ready? Should I feel like I'm in a war? If I am always thinking I'm in a war, then when the battle begins, I might be ready. But if rather I think my pesky little flesh might maybe come around sometime this week and remind me he's there, or maybe the enemy might be passing by sometime later, then I will be at rest. I won't be ready for war. But if I never put the armor away, the sword's never in the closet, then I'm ready. So my ear is ready to hear the devil opening up his dart case, ready to shoot at me. So then I know my besetting sin that is unique to me, and I hear it rustling in the trees, preparing to attack me. This little 86-page book here, written by a Puritan, John Owen, over 300 years ago, is basically the entire book about this verse 13 in Romans, about battling against the misdeeds of the flesh. I'll just read a couple of sentences. Sin doth not only still abide in us, but is still acting, still laboring to bring forth the deeds of the flesh. When sin lets us alone, we may let sin alone. But as sin is never less quiet than when it seems to be most quiet, and its waters are for the most part deep when they are still, so ought our contrivances against it to be vigorous at all times, in all conditions, even where there is least suspicion. This is the war James describes in chapter 1. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then, desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So there it is. When I first sense I am being lured away and enticed by my own evil desire, I put my hand on that sword at my side and I'm ready. I don't have to go to the closet to get it out. I'm ready to pull it out and go for the kill. So for example, as I was just battling sin a few days ago, true story in my mind and in my heart, James 1 had begun to kick in. I could see the old man starting to rise up. We all know what is unique to us, each in our own battle. Anger, fear, bitterness, gossip, overeating, lust, just plain unbelief. So I am starting to be lured away and enticed by my evil desire, as he says. So I begin to pray, O oh Lord, you are all my strength not to proceed after the flesh. So Lord, give me the armor of God, belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness, gospel of peace, 
Shield of faith, helmet of salvation, sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Since if by the Spirit I put to death the misdeeds of the body, I will live. So I say, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Set your heart on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. I used to walk in these ways in the life I once lived, but now I must rid myself of all such things as these. So then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. And the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And Lord, I am groaning right now and I need Your help. I don't want this thing to get me and I need Your help because I want to kill it because God, You taught me to hate it. Is there a zap? No. But I am doing what the Lord commands. I am praying and fighting with the sword of the Spirit and having it on you in your scabbard to draw at any moment. That makes us ready for war. What of this war? Is this really a war? What does James say? What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this? that your passions are at war within you. Paul says to Timothy things like, fight the good fight of faith. And also, this charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. Paul says about himself, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. And also, I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. And of course, he also says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Sound like a war? One one battle at a time. This portion of a psalm here, even though it is originally speaking of the Lord's redemption of the Israelites from their captivity, see if it doesn't sound like a snapshot of the Christian life, of our slipping into a rebellion due to our flesh and the enemy helping us defeat ourselves And then, God's kindness and deliverance from Psalm 107. Give thanks to the Lord for He is good. His love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Those He redeemed from the hand of the foe. Those He gathered from the lands from east and west, from north and south. Some wandered in desert wastelands, finding no way to a city where they could settle. They were hungry and thirsty and their lives ebbed away. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble and He delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way to a city where they could settle. 
Let them give thanks to the Lord for His unfailing love and His wonderful deeds for mankind. For He satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. Some sat in darkness, in utter darkness. Prisoners suffering in iron chains because they rebelled against God's commands and despised the plans of the Most High. So He subjected them to bitter labor. They stumbled and there was no one to help Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and He saved them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness, the utter darkness, and broke away their chains. Let them give thanks to the Lord for His unfailing love and His wonderful deeds for mankind. For He breaks down gates of bronze and cuts through bars of iron. Those bars of iron that we sometimes find ourselves in Seems like that sometimes. Prisoners of war, of our own repeating, besetting sin, from which, without Christ, we have no hope of being freed. So we have the Holy Spirit in us that gives us the power to put to death the misdeeds of the body so that we may live. And we have been given the best sword known to mankind this Word of God, to engage the battle. But what of the motivation to win? Is the army that is motivated for victory more likely to win? Is the person who is truly born again and loves Christ have something in his heart that is more precious than sin? When the Holy Spirit says one thing and the flesh the opposite, Is there something that besides the fear of God's judgment or being good or looking good that helps to win the battle? Yes, there is. It is seeing Jesus Christ as more valuable, more wonderful, more satisfying than my sin. It is saying I see Him with the eyes of my heart and I want Him more than I want sin. It is part of what Paul says in Ephesians. This grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. The unsearchable riches of Christ. As one commentator put it regarding this verse, riches of compassion and love, of merit, of sanctifying, comforting, and transforming power all without limit and capable of satisfying every want, craving, and yearning of the heart now and evermore. How does one explain seeing Christ as more valuable than anything, than sin, than life itself? It is hard to explain to someone who does not know Christ. And I could go through here and read all kinds of scriptures about it, the love of Christ, the beauty of Christ, His closeness. But I might try to explain it this way. Two weeks ago today, I was speaking with Lindsay LeMay, who has decided to be baptized because she has what she believes is full assurance of true saving faith. And as an elder, I sat with her for a while 
and asked her some basic questions about faith in Christ, the sacrifice for sins, being born again, the reason for being baptized, and she answered them all very nicely. But then, when I asked her what her greatest hope was in this life, her greatest desire, perhaps in heaven where every tear is gone, every pain is gone, the streets are paved with gold and there are mansions galore and a new heaven and a new earth. What does she want more than anything? And she looked up and she said, It's Him I want. Jesus. He's what I want more than anything. And I saw the countenance in her face and the joy in her eyes. And I said, Yes, that's it. That's that knowing Him. That's in every true believer that is so hard to explain in words. Christ above all. And in saying that, she explained it more than I could ever articulate it. That kind of seeing Him as supreme above all else. When you know Christ that way, the battle can be joined. And the slashing and the thrust of the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God against your flesh and the enemy of your soul. Sounds like a war. Looks like a war. Is a war. And if you are in this war against your flesh and you are truly battling, let's be clear That is not your way to salvation. That is evidence of your salvation. And what does the Scripture say to give us hope about your perseverance in this battle if you are a true believer? Paul says in 1 Corinthians, our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless, In the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, God is faithful by whom you were called into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And in 1 Thessalonians, Paul says, Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. And be encouraged that we are battling side by side with our fellow believers. As Paul says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. And perhaps this great motivator for us to battle from Hebrews about Jesus Christ. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So, Someone asked today, after church, go home, maybe Grandma Betty, 
says, I was church today. What was the sermon about? They well, the man said we should read our Bibles. So I would say, let's do it. Let's cram the Word of God into our brain. Does it work? I don't know how it works. I've done it a lot, and I'm battling every day with temptations to besetting sins that never go away. I ask God, why is it so hard to fight and fight and fight? But I cannot even imagine what it would be like if I did not have what I do have in there. That terrifies me to the very core of my being. To think, oh God, I've beaten so much of your word in me and progress is so slow. But without it, would I really believe your warnings and say with the writer of Hebrews, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. That I would remember Romans which says, so then each of us must give an account of himself to God. To remember that Jesus says, so on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak, that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Would I fall away? Would I persevere? Would I be able to stand the onslaught of my flesh, helped along by the enemy? The devil made me do it. No, the devil helps me do it. Flesh can't overcome flesh. Only a true born-again believer in Christ can begin to do it. We can't rescue ourselves. Only the Spirit can give us the power to overcome sin. And so, I say to us today, use the best weapon a man or woman could ever carry with them in their heart and in their mind. So I urge you, memorize the Word. Soak in it. Bathe in it. Marinate in it. Saturate your mind with it. Ingrain it in your brain. Immerse it. Infuse it in you. Am I preaching to myself? Of course. Do I come anywhere near doing this enough? No. But let's commit today to do like Paul says. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God and whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Holy Father, we thank You, Lord, today for the Word of God that is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, judging our hearts, changing our hearts, judging our thoughts, changing our thoughts. Lord, would You today and every day draw us near to Your Word? The Word 
which proclaims to us the great, amazing sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross, taking the wrath of God so that we may believe in the salvation that you offer to each and every person, that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved so that these promises may be ours as we are children of God so that by the Spirit we may live with you. Live rightly before you now and live eternally with you when we see you face to face on that glorious day. Oh Lord, we thank you that you are so good to us. And now we are going